0: Hi, and welcome to The Other Half. I'm Anna. And I'm a professor of math at Duquesne University at Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
1: And I'm Annie, and I work for the federal government in an advisory capacity. So uh, there you have it. Don't call me about everything, but you can call me about some things. (laughs) Great, so what
0: I wanted to call you about today was ride-sharing. So I wanted to think about
1: getting around. Oh, yeah, Anna. (laughs) In our lives, we have done quite our share of city crisscrossing. Am I right? Seriously.
0: Traveling from borough to borough in our ill-begotten youth in New York City. (laughs) And now state to state. Um, But
1: the borough to borough part, that was really tough. Yeah. You know, I remember once hearing from somebody that he felt like relationships that had one person in one borough and another person in another borough were ill-fated relationships.
0: Well, it's expensive. Amen. It's very costly to get around and also kind of a pain in the butt. And I think that like (laughs) at the time when we were traveling around, you actually had to stand out on a street corner and wave your arm around, (laughs) which was like much harder than it is now. So it was costly. You actually had to hail a cab. Right. What a thing. But anyways... Getting places is certainly a big part of our lives and a big part of many people's lives. And in some cities, people drive everywhere. And when you drive a lot, of course, these cities get really congested. And this is obviously a big environmental problem, but it also is kind of a quality of life problem. Also, there are some people who don't even have cars who have to rely on public transportation, like buses, trains, uh, or sometimes taxis or other kind of uh, ride options. Um, But the public transportation is usually run by local
1: governments or in the case of the DC metro, through the collaboration of two states and the District of Columbia, which, as you can imagine, is um, fraught. So, right, like public transportation uh, is an important part of connecting people to where they want to go. But sometimes it doesn't always do a good job connecting people to the exact places that they want to go. And when that happens, it's kind of a problem, right? Like Economies and and quality of living can suffer. Sure. So this is a problem, getting around.
0: It's a problem that concerns the people who need to get around. It concerns the governments who are trying to get people around. And it can also concern people who are maybe in the industry of getting people around. So needless to say, Lots of people have been thinking about this problem.
2: Yes, I'm Steve Strogatz. I'm a math professor at Cornell.
1: So, first of all, it was pretty exciting for us to talk to Steve Strogatz. You might know him as the author of The Joy of X or as a one-time contributor to The New York Times when he wrote this really awesome column for like 12 weeks called From Fish to Infinity. Oh,
0: I love that column. He's such a fantastic writer.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like interesting and really puts math in this light that I feel like people get, right? Like people understand math when he talks to them about it. Yeah, he
0: can, he can produce a well-turned-out metaphor in a way that few can. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Enviable.
0: So anyways, our f- fangirl status aside, <laughs> uh, we were really excited to st- talk to Steve. And um, what Steve's colleagues at MIT and he are doing is studying transportation efficiency. So he's working with this group from the Sensible City Lab at MIT, studying how, well, how transportation can be made more efficient by sharing rides. So let me allow Steve to lay out this scenario for us.
2: Okay, so imagine you're in a city and you'd like to go somewhere and you're thinking about getting a cab, but maybe you don't have so much money and you'd like to share the cab with somebody, except, you you know, none of your friends are standing there available to share with. So you'd like to share with a stranger. Now that might sound a little creepy, but there are people who do it. There's such a thing right now, right? I mean, there's Uber pool where you can um, take a trip for half price and then other people are in the car with you. So um, especially young people are open to doing this. And the question is, suppose that you know we changed our culture so that people just routinely shared cabs or, or cars with strangers, you know, cause think about it, I mean, there's usually an empty seat or two in the taxi and that's, that's inefficient. If you could have other people in there who are going the same way as you are at the same time as you are, you wouldn't need as many taxis and that would mean you wouldn't have as much air pollution or congestion on the road.
0: So obviously ride sharing has a lot of benefits Pollution and congestion being the first that come to mind. But I imagine that there are also some more obvious humanitarian benefits to this.
1: Yeah, so you've brought up congestion and pollution. And both of those things kind of have to do with efficiency. Basically, when we grease the skids on the movement of people, we improve the efficiency of The way society works. And that's one big area for policy intervention. But we should also kind of look at the equity side of things here, too. So if you can make it easier for people to get places, then you're really creating opportunities for them that they might not have otherwise had. For example, you could make it so that somebody could get to a place that they weren't previously able to get to. You could also make it cheaper for them to get from place to place. And when everybody has that kind of access to transportation, then you improve equity across the city. And that can actually have far-reaching effects, like you could address poverty and joblessness if you can make transportation better.
0: Wow, so obviously people who are interested in policy, policy analysts like yourself, have a great deal of interest in this problem. But obviously, We are also mathematicians, and this is a mathematical podcast. So what we really want to get to here is a mathematical question about this. So mathematically, is there some way that you can measure the potential benefits of ride sharing for a given city? And for one city, New York City, the Big Apple... They were actually able to work this thing out mathematically. So the
2: first paper, as you say, was, was focused on New York City. And it asked the question, if people in New York shared cabs, you know, how could you quantify the savings? And um, New York had the great advantage, first of all, that there's a lot of cabs, obviously. But, <laughs> but the real advantage is that Mayor Bloomberg years ago required that all cabs have GPS so that they would be able to track where is every cab at every moment? And so they had a whole year of data of every trip taken in the city for that year. Where where did it start? Where did it end? When did it begin? When did it end? So you have six numbers actually for each trip, which if you think about it, six numbers, I mean, where it is east and west, that's one number, north, south, that's another number. So two numbers at the start, giving its XY coordinates, we might say in math, and then um, two numbers at the end, and then the time in the end of beginning and end. So six numbers define this trip. And so they have this giant database of 150 million trips for a given year. And then there was this interesting computer science question of, suppose that you wanted to pair trips, that is, take a trip and ask, if that trip had been aware of the fact that there was another trip starting about the same time, going the same way, those two trips could have been shared if, the, if only the people had known about each other and wanted to do it. Like, if you think of it this way, first of all, in, in principle, any trip could share with any trip if people were willing to wait long enough. But that's absurd. No one wants to wait too long. That's not going to be viable. So we set this criterion that we consider two trips to be shareable if nobody would incur a delay of more than five minutes by, by sharing. OK, so if it would inconvenience you less than five minutes we consider, I mean, that's a made-up number, but we, we just sort of think people might be willing to put up with that. If it turns out it's three minutes or if it's 10, whatever, that's that's adjustable. We can change the calculations. But anyway, so for just for now, suppose you say two trips are shareable. If, like I said, nobody's inconvenienced by more than five minutes, then um, you can think about it a little abstractly. Like, remember I said a trip you can think of as six numbers. So we in math like to visualize this as a point. In a space defined by six dimensions now to a normal person that sounds insane what are you talking about there's you know (laughs) but but it's a generalization that's very natural in math like just as three dimensions we can talk about up down front back or left right right those are the three dimensions we're used to to us making it six dimensional isn't really not any big problem we can't picture it but you can do all the math with it so these these points in six dimensional space to find trips. And then you could imagine around a given trip, there's a cloud of potentially shareable trips that are all within the five minute constraint.
0: So what they found out was that given just this five minute constraint, so saying that you would allow yourself to be inconvenienced by five minutes, meant that 95% of the taxi trips in New York City could have been shared, which is incredible. And if they'd been shared, That would have been a 40% decrease in traffic congestion. And if you've ever stood in Times Square and watched the traffic crawl by,
1: 40% is kind of a big deal. Yeah, definitely. But as New Yorkers are so fond of saying, New York is special, right? It's Mm -hmm. a potentially unique case. And New York City is not like other cities. Things get interesting when the group that Steve Strogatz worked with, looked at similar data sets for three other cities, Singapore, Vienna, and San Francisco, and ran the same computations. And what they were really trying to find out was if the other cities also had such a high percentage of rides that could have been shared, given some minimum or maximum inconvenience that people would have been willing to incur. And they were looking for some kind of number to attach to a city based on its size, the number of taxis, the average speed of traffic, and the maximum amount of time that riders would have been willing to be inconvenienced that would tell us exactly how beneficial ride sharing could be. So
2: there's this quantity that we talked about in the paper that we call shareability, which um, is what fraction of trips could be shared if you did this matching. So we computed that for all four cities. And um, the punchline is that there's a certain way of looking at these cities so that they all look astonishingly similar. And, and we didn't know that it was going to turn out like that. That is, the suggestion in the paper is that there's a universal law for the potential of ride sharing, that, that all cities have the same potential if you look at them the right way. And and not only that, but that there's a simple math explanation for why they do.
0: So it looks like these cities in some sense are behaving the same with respect to shareability. But how can that really work when some cities are bigger than others? Some are certainly faster than others. And it doesn't seem to me like a mega city like Singapore, which I imagine with like lots of cars zipping around and an old world European capital like Vienna, where I know for a fact they have horse-drawn carriages on the road, <laughs> could really be the same, the same. The, uh, th- somehow the,
1: the shareability must be different. And, you know, it, it is in a sense, because w- what we're really talking about here is scaling. So the shareability is not necessarily identical Rather, what Steve and his colleagues identified was a way to apply a, a number, a multiplier, to make the cities look somewhat like each other. Let's think about this through one of Steve's excellent metaphors about a boat in a bathtub.
2: Clear, they don't turn out the same in a naive way. You have to adjust them. So what do I mean? I mean, that, the, the first word in the title of the paper is scaling says scaling law for urban ride sharing. And scaling is an idea that gets used a lot in engineering or physics or even in movie making. You know, like suppose you're a movie maker and you want to show a boat on the stormy sea, you know, and it's being rocked around by the waves and stuff. You could do it by making a real boat and waiting for a really bad day on the ocean and putting it out there and filming it. But that's not what they do. They they know how to make a bathtub with a little boat in it that is scale. It's a scale model of the real boat that's in the movie. And if you choose things correctly, and that's where the art is and the math too, same thing applies to airplanes. You know, you could build the full scale airplane, but if you want to test its properties, you make a small one and put it in a wind tunnel and you have to figure out what speed of air should I blow past the scale model to make it be like the real plane flying at the real speed. And it's not just that you shrink everything proportionally. It's not that simple in the case of cities, the, there's a question of what's the right way to compare a bigger city to a smaller city with respect to this shareability question. So that's, that was the surprising thing to us. I mean, many surprising things, but it turns out that under the sense of scaling, that if you scale, there's a way to compare cities where they become scale models of each other. And that's the sense in which they fit.
0: And this is really the heart of it. They found a formula that you can use that allows you to think of all of these cities in the same way, regardless of their size, number of cabs, speed of traffic, and incidents of horse-drawn carriage on the road. (laughs) And then when you apply this formula to each city, they really look the same.
2: We compare the delay that you're willing to put up with to the delay that you expect before a cab gets to you, you know, after you ask for one. That's the relevant ratio.
0: Now, Annie, if I may, you're a policy wonk, right? Well, if you say so, Anna. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to just riff a little bit for me on what you think would be policy implications of something like this.
1: Yeah, can do. (laughs) So what this formula allows really any city to do is... Well, let me put it this way. We've got these numbers, right? We've got number of taxis. We got size of the city. We have um, the speed of traffic. We have the amount of time riders are willing to be inconvenienced. And we have the percentage of rides that can be shareable. That sounds like five variables to me. And we can solve for any one of those variables if we have the numbers to plug in for the other four. So imagine a city that wants to create conditions for 90% of cab rides to be shareable. They know how big they are. They can find out the average speed of traffic. They can apply some inconvenience number. They can say, we'll let people be inconvenienced by no more than say seven minutes. Then they can figure out how many taxis they need to have on the road to create this 90% shareability.
0: Wow. So they can actually say, like, we need 20 taxis on the road, any less than that, and we're not sharing maximally, and any more than that, and we're just wasting taxis? Exactly. There's kind of past that point marginal returns. But I have one question. This seems really equitable for all of the people who are taking the rides and equitable for the environment and all that, but maybe it's not exactly equitable for the taxi drivers. Are there some kind of, like, secondary effects of this that might be bad?
1: Unintended consequences, perhaps? As you call them. Well, and let's think of it this way. Cities can choose to subsidize ride sharing, right? If their choice to subsidize ride sharing for a certain number of taxis means that actually they're going to call the herd on taxis and remove taxis from, the, from service, then yeah, people may end up losing their jobs. And that's certainly an inequitable outcome of, of this, although I think not the intention of the authors to promote at all. <laughs>
0: Well, I guess for better or worse, we can say that all of this is completely theoretical right now. So the shareability that they've mapped out didn't actually happen. And these 95% of people in New York didn't actually get in cabs together with strangers yet.
2: In that data, there was no sharing happening. It's It's a story about potential. It's the potential for ride sharing.
1: I think we may have just found a new name for our podcast. A story about potential. Love it. On that note, let's go arrange a carpool somewhere. Yeah, but let's take Lyft line. Because, you know, Uber. Mm. Mm -hmm. I know.
0: (laughs) Anyways, thanks so much for listening. And many, many thanks to Steve Strogatz for taking the time to chat with us. It was such a pleasure. And thanks, as always, to our executive producer, Samuel Hansen, the big boss in charge of the Acme Science Network of Podcasts. If you want more information about this show, you can check out more on our website at
1: theotherhalf.acmescience.com. We will also be posting a link to this paper itself. And we invite you to come to our website and take a look at it and learn more about ride sharing. Great.
0: Now we got to go. Our lift is getting here in two minutes. Bye. Bye. Was that too cheesy? No, not even a little bit. (laughs) No. (laughs) No such thing.